Welcome to Random Questions, the show that turns interviews on their head. I'm Eric Johnson, and who the hell are you? Uh, hey, I'm Tasha. Yes, we've been Tasha friends. Tasha Eccles. <laughs> <laughs> Tasha Eccles, we've been friends. T-Bone. Uh, when did that start, T-Bone? That, that must have been not oh, long after gosh. we met. Yeah, almost almost immediate. <laughs> yeah, so known for, yeah, since, I, uh, since we both came out here to, to California about three years ago, or... Something like that. No, four years ago. Four years ago, yeah. Wow, man, time Both flies. of us were grad school, yeah. And I'm, <laughs> you're many years out of grad school now, and I'm still slogging away. So. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you're you're gonna you're gonna be a famous, you know, academic someday. So definitely. <laughs> uh, so if this is your first time listening to random questions, here's how it works. Neither Tasha nor I have any idea what we're going to talk about today. I have a list of 291 questions, and every time I hit this button, we'll get a new one at random. You can submit your questions for future guests at randomquestions.xyz. Now, here comes the first question. All right, Tasha. How many pairs of shoes do you own? (laughs) This is funny, Eric, because I think this is the question that when you were making the pitch to me, you gave as an example of a question. This is the thing. It's it's random, so I cannot control. I cannot prevent that from coming up. So you've had time to be. So to in think a way, I had a chance to prepare, and yet it's still sort of taking me aback. Um, <laughs> let's see, how many pairs of shoes do I own? I would estimate somewhere between. Um, I would. It's probably higher than I than I think. So I'm gonna I'm gonna round up to like ten. Okay. Yeah. But I actually, it's a little bit misleading because I feel like I actually wear maybe one pair of shoes. Like on most days, I'm wearing the same pair of shoes. As so what are the other nine then? The other nine are sort of, um, you know, special, like special occasion shoes, like not necessarily nice shoes, but like it's a little colder than usual. Maybe I want to wear a boot or like shoes that seemed appealing in the store. But in fact, like impulse buys when it comes time to actually getting dressed in the morning, I just want to wear my same old, same old. Right. Um, so and a lot of them either like don't fit me or they give me blisters or they. Uh, but you've kept them, though. Yeah. It's funny, I've purged a lot. Like, I feel like I've spent a lot of times, particularly since coming to California, um, I think I've gone through this kind of minimalist phase where I'm just like constantly trying to get rid of things. Um, And the shoes seem like they maybe have escaped that fate, partly because it just seems like I had like one pair of shoes, which is the pair of shoes that I actually like, is just like not enough. So I need to have some more shoes and and I I don't really acquire them. So I would say I've had the same 10 shoes probably for the last like five years or something. Okay. So it's not like you're constantly going out and buying new ones. It's Mm -mm. just that you've held on to old ones that you don't even don't wear just kind of for the sake of it. Yeah. And shoes, I think, I think, I know there are people that get really into shoes as like an article of clothing, like I think I had a friend in college who had who was famous for just like having like hundreds of shoes. So it might have just been a myth, but um, <laughs> but I I don't particularly like shoes. Like they're not. I don't get excited about other people having nice shoes. I rarely. It's not something I notice about people. So my preference is just to have like a very nondescript pair of shoes that's also not like so so dorky. So that's right. the that's like the sweet spot that I'm looking for. And I think the result of that is that I'm not. I don't seek them out. And um, and therefore don't have an opportunity to like acquire shoes that I actually like. So I, I just have a bunch that I feel kind of neutral toward. Yeah. And then this one pair of clogs that are like my my workhorse. <laughs> okay, so I got I got to ask about the clogs. Okay. Why, <laughs> why, why do you have a pair of clogs? Yeah. Well, I think I think the clogs are just like in. I'm trying to think how to explain. Like they, I feel like clogs 
the clogs don't seem like they don't it doesn't read as me trying to be fashionable which i feel like i feel like sort of the worst thing in fashion is to seem like you're trying to do something and then failing so i just i like that the clogs are um they're they're definitely noticeable so they're not purely neutral or boring um, can you can you describe the clogs of like are, are these oh, like yeah. the color like the 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 Dutch like dancing clogs here yeah. or <laughs> these are well it's a sort of later uh, generation like you know clogs definitely 2.0. distant rela- distantly related uh, uh, they're dansko clogs they are commonly worn by people in the medical industry and also teachers really because for many people they're very very comfortable to wear other people i think it it sort of depends on your foot shape or something but like they're if you're on your feet all the time or uh yeah so yeah people who spend most of their jobs either walking or standing huh. um so in a way they're kind of wasted on me because i spend most of my job sitting at a desk writing but <laughs> i think the clogs excuse me um uh so I guess I think early on in my life, my mom instilled, even though at the time I was really, um, uh, I was very skeptical of this and definitely like sort of rebellious toward this position. But she, every every shoe that I owned as a child needed to be subjected to this like maternal sort of approval. And that basically boiled down to whether they were good for my feet or not. So I wasn't able, I wasn't like allowed ah. to wear, like even wearing something like flip flops, like even ones with arch support was sort of like that was like already questionable and rebel, certainly rebel. anything like high heels or anything out like that was out of the question <laughs> and i don't think it was on the grounds of some kind of puritanical like you know like i couldn't wear anything too risque or something it was much more it was just like she didn't want like i think she felt that she had worn a lot of like uh you know bad for her feet shoes as a young person and was like suffering the consequences now later in life and she didn't want me to suffer the same consequences so even though at the time I was really resistant to it I've come around I think I've basically I I think essentially she was effective in instilling this idea that like shoes needed to be justified by being like good for your feet so I basically wear orthopedic shoes I mean basically what I'm wearing (laughs) is orthopedic shoes that I think read as sort of like a cross between like nerd and hippie which is where I I sort of see myself on the in the kind of like social spectrum even though you have a default to go to you still manage to to derive a a sort of a fashion or or an identity out of the shoes so yes yeah no they're a default but they yes I think that's totally I think that's well said yeah I I, I also wear shoes for flat feet and they are uh, they're very much look like running shoes they very much look like sneakers and I've worn them to some very formal occasions where I should yeah. not have worn them but it's like you know what I'm on my feet all day screw you yeah I think for a certain kind of person the shoe is a big like because you can potentially wear I mean there aren't that many other articles of clothing you could wear exactly the same thing every single day but right. the shoes potentially you can do that so they do become you do kind of bond with them in this way that you don't with other articles of clothing and so it can be unsettling for example if you you know, you're in a situation where you're expected to wear a different pair of shoes, I think it can really throw you off your game. Like yeah. I, for me, the dance codes are very empowering because they have a little bit of a heel in addition to like, they don't, they're not high heels by any means, but they have this sort of like platform These effect. These the clogs you're talking the about. The clogs, yeah. yeah. Um, so when I have to, when I have to like go off my dance cl- dance goes, I actually lose like several inches. So I feel like <laughs> in all ways, I just feel thrown off kilter, like a less powerful hu- human being. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I can understand wanting to be, you know, being tempted to wear sneakers to a like, you know, yeah, fancy function. Just all right. Well, you you have uh, successfully overcome my cynicism about clogs. So, so points. <laughs> you should you should try them out, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here comes the next question. We'll we'll see. I don't know if that's gonna happen, but here comes the next question. How do you feel about clowns? Oh, well, this is another question. I mean, this question I had no preparation for. <laughs> no, um, no cheating on this one. And yet I, I 
feel I feel like I have um, things to say about clowns. You feel strongly about clowns. Yeah, I mean, do I... Let me see. I don't know if the way I feel about clowns is like comes down to just like positive or negative, but I do... Clowns and I go way back in the sense that... Um, in the sense that when I was a kid, for many, many years in a row, I was a clown for Halloween. And really? I think my very first Halloween costume was actually a clown costume. Wow. Uh, when... I would not have called that, just, just from knowing you <laughs> and from knowing your, your later in life Halloween costume choices. <laughs> I know, you're, you're pretty intimately acquainted with some of my, <laughs> some of my most recent um, Halloween debacles, uh, usually very last minute. But yeah, no, this was in the sort of like golden age of me not having to do lift a finger for my Halloween costumes and just sort of like delivering these like ultimatums to my mom who would then, you know, who's a just phenomenal seamstress and would make, you know. Oh, it was a homemade clown costume. Yeah, yeah. All of these were homemade. I was always, yeah, my mom. So, so were you saying like, I want you to make like a certain color or a certain material or was it more just like, I like clowns, you know, and she's kind of create something out of thin air? Well, in the first instance, it, I had no say in it at all because I think the first time I was a clown um, was really before I was like fully cognizant, right. you know, fully, if that's word, yeah, fully You're conscious. Or yeah. Or something. And so in a way, this might be, this might follow the same pattern as the shoe story. It might be sort of a story <laughs> of like subtle parental control being exerted because like the first time I was a clown, my mom, I, the story that she tells is that she was like, it's so stupid to like make Halloween costumes for a blank year old, whatever I was. It could have been one or two or something like sure. that. And so she wasn't planning on it. And then at the last minute felt like just like horrible that she hadn't put any effort into like dressing me up. And so I think on the day, I think my dad was at work and on the day and then, and she was too. And she got home and like frantically like, like pulled a, you know, decided to like um, sacrifice a sheet and cut it up into a little like clown suit and then sewed it. And then in, um, in, permanent marker made a whole like a bunch of little like you know colored circles and it actually came out quite well I've seen pictures of it and then I got you know the face painted and, oh, of course you can't um, be a clown without the face paint so I and yeah so I was a pretty good looking little like toddler clown and then <laughs> later I was a clown you know I think probably because my, my mom would make these costumes but then Tony and I my brother and I would get quite attached to them so we'd often want to wear them like the next year and the next year and the next year Tony like my brother had a this like adorable little tiger costume that he wore, I think from the ages of like five to 12 or something. <laughs> By the end of it, it was like, you know, Capri, Capri tiger pants and, um, and a hoodie that was like a hood with little, little Aww. ears that were too, it was too small for him. But so I had that relationship with a clown costume that I think was, um, sort of like cross between a clown and a jester. It had this kind of okay. like metallic, you know, it was like multicolored and one of my pants, pant legs was different than the other of my pant legs. And that's, that's the jester element there. That, that, sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I might, I probably, I think I had some kind of weird piece of head, headgear, like a, um, yeah, maybe, yeah, it's, it's, it's fading now but I definitely had this Halloween costume and then the other thing the other thing about my relationship with clowns I remember is um uh so I danced a bunch growing up and I went to this dance program where um rather than like doing kind of like mail order like costumes which is what a lot of programs do okay the head of this program relied heavily again on like per parents um making these costumes, sewing the costumes from scratch. And my mom was one of the people who was recruited into this operation. So there was one year when, and and all of the kids were in this dance program just because they wanted to like be able to, I mean, we all just wanted to be 
ballerinas in tutus with like you know white frilly costumes like sure. we all had this like super sort of like that's like the feminine, classic like... yeah the very classic sort of old-fashioned and also like very much wrapped up in a certain idea of like femininity like we wanted to be beautiful and and we just never got that like they were it was almost <laughs> like they were just kind of like beating it out of us like you know I was a dog I was a clown I was like <laughs> seaweed I was you know I was basically everything except for this thing that I had you know that everybody comes to the school wanting to become um and I danced for many many years but anyway one of the I think I was an evil clown an evil clown I think I was an evil clown or maybe I was the happy clown I think there were two sort of like one class of little kids was evil clowns and the other one was kind of like these happy clowns I can't remember which one I was part of the reason why a lot of these questions were written over sort of I had like a random thought and I was kind of you know type it into my little uh, question submitter that I mentioned and like this one came from I think someone mentioning that they were afraid of clowns huh so like were were you ever like afraid of clowns like is that or or, I mean I guess you're dressing up as was Halloween but maybe not necessarily because they were scary you know sometimes yeah something you want to look like I don't think I had that fear I mean um you know maybe more recently now that I've seen I don't think I had the um I hadn't like seen any scary movies or anything featuring clowns like I just don't think that was part of my kind of imaginary when I was little and partly just because I mostly wanted to be clowns like I don't think I (laughs) I think uh I don't know what kind of exposure I would have had to them other than like why did I even know what they looked like I'm not sure I mean like I remember watching like Bozo the Clown on TV was the the only real clown that I remember like you know watching a lot of yeah oh you know what there's a children's book there's a a children's book by i think it's illustrated by this guy tony DePaula. i might have the name wrong paolo pa- i he, i don't know you don't look for me look don't look at me for a correction <laughs> he did these like wonderful um illustrated you know um books and one of them was called jingle the christmas clown and it was about this this like traveling circus or carnival in Italy and uh the traveling circus comes to this poor town that's so poor that they can't afford to pay the circus people to do to put on the show and then all of the like baby animals and the baby clown you know the like child clown and all of the yeah sort of a dark in a way a dark (laughs) dark story they decide that they'll put on a show for free for this this sort of like for Christmas yeah for Christmas and so Jingle the Christmas Clown I think he's the kind of Mo, you know the one that mobilizes all of his like little his band of fellow babies he, to... he's the he's the clown jesus he he has his followers <laughs> and he exactly. you know but blessed blessed are the trapeze artists for they shall inherit the world you know <laughs> yeah totally so uh, then maybe that's behind my my sort of generally positive feelings about clowns so when was the last time you dressed up as a clown the most recent hmm. time the most recent time gosh has to have been I have a terrible memory for these kind of things. This might be where the this might be made downfalls and answer random <laughs> questions because I I think it could have been like middle school or something like that. Okay, so, so a while ago, a long time ago. Yeah. yeah, I can't. I definitely can't think of any. I can't think of any costumes. I yeah, I, I pretty much know the ones I was in Halloween and rather high school and yeah college and I, yeah. So I think I think there was a I had a good run of it, but it was it. It stopped yeah, being it stopped cool. Pretty, yeah, it stopped being cool. <laughs> that usually hasn't barred me from from dressing as particular things on Halloween. But. You got to bring it back. You got. You got it'll be be a throwback. Yeah, to, to... that could be a good throwback. That maybe. I mean, that, that that would be a good approach to my um, the crisis I tend to have every Halloween, where I don't know what I'm going to be, and then I and then desperately at the last minute I try to throw together a costume. But maybe I could just start like cycling through my my old costumes. I feel like I. <laughs> 
set a pretty high bar back in my in my youth. <laughs> a Halloween hipster back, you know, before it was cool, you know, yeah. far back. All right, here comes the next question. Okay. Do you think that you will be a very different person five years from now? Oh, that's such a good question. Thank you. That's, uh, you wrote all these questions? Not all of them. So I have a website set up where people can submit their own questions. Hmm. So since I've already did two interviews with Vignesh and Keegan, each of them has since submitted a bunch of questions. We haven't yet hit one of theirs yet, but if we do, I'll, uh, I'll call it out. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, no, this is something that, this is a question I feel like I think about you know, just independently from time to time. Um, the first time I remember thinking about it in any kind of serious way was in college, after my first, very first year of college when I was, you know, um, sitting in the middle of the quad, you know, it was like a very kind of iconic college scene <laughs> with the... The grass you know, and the, the leaves. The grass and the, and the brick building in the background. And, reading a book underneath a tree, all yep, that stuff. yep. Uh, I think you can all imagine uh, what this would have looked like. And I was with my my good friend, Kate, who I had gone to high school with also. And she and I sort of grew up together. And we'd, we'd gotten close at the end of high school. And we were, we were um, in college together, too. And she, at the end of freshman year, um, when we were sitting there together, declared that she felt she had almost totally transformed as a person. She was like, I just feel, I feel so aware of having gone through this process of growth and transformation. And, and I, I sort of feel like a different person than, right. than when I arrived. And I remember just that seeming like the most kind of foreign statement to me. Like I, I, I don't think I had ever, it really gave me pause because I don't, I don't think I've ever been aware of of having gone through. And I think that's probably still true that I... You feel like you've kind of changed very slowly, very incrementally? imperceptibly. Like, I, I would be curious to know if this... I haven't really talked to anybody else. Um, anybody, yeah, anybody other than myself about whether this is like just a, um, you know, just a, a kind of illusion that I have about my own kind of like continuity as a, as a person. Um, but I kind of expect that I change less than some other people maybe like I, and maybe I just, I think the other thing is I haven't been, there haven't, I don't know that I've had any kind of like traumatic or even, you know, just extreme experiences. I think I've had, you know, the circumstances have just kind of allowed me to continue being the person that I am. And I have mixed feelings about that. Yeah, it is. No, I think they they have to change through because they have something really bad happen to them. Totally. yeah. Yeah. And I think, so I think it's very, I mean, I think the cer- the fact that the circumstances have been stable enough are, I think I feel lucky about that. And, um, but it, more recently I've thought about it as, yeah, this is a question I'd be curious to have you answer too, Eric, or, or <laughs> just because, um, yeah, because I've realized that there is, so in, you know, the, the positive, I think there's a positive, there's a sort of like positive inflection to the you know, I'm, I'm basically a stable person and I haven't changed for a long time. And there's also, but there's also a negative side, which is that, that it can, it can sort of extend into, um, a doubt about your capacity to change. So like in, in times when you sort of actually are, you know, feeling for whatever reason, like you are, you know, usually in very minor ways that I want to like reform, (laughs) reform my ways, or usually it boils down to like, you know, being frustrated with my work habits or something like that. And maybe this it's is like, a, why point, can't I like, you know, do this? Why have I always, you know, done homework this way? Yeah. Or, like, yeah. why do I always procrastinate and do things sure. at the last minute when I don't, it's clearly not making me happy. Like, and so, 
And uh, and I guess there's this woman at Stanford named Carol Dworkin, I think is her name, D... Again, I have no idea. W-O-R-K-I-N. <laughs> anyway, who's done... Who's uh, I think she's a social psychologist. She's done work showing that the, that people more or less sort into two types, people that hmm. believe that they sort of have this intrinsic capacity to change and other people who believe that they have... Um, that what what that what's intrinsic to them is just a is a set of talents that huh. is you know you can prove and you can so the work of living is sort of like just showing people that these you know that you are a member of the elect or that you are not but it's not about you know improving and sort of really changing and developing as a person and i started to suspect that i'm in this second category and i don't like that i don't like being in that category yeah. so i'm but I'm interested in these two. She calls the first one a growth mindset, and I can't remember what the second one is called. And it turns out to be, um, it turns out to be sort of related to a whole bunch of other forms of like success and happiness in life. <laughs> and the, the, gro- the second, having the growth mindset. having the growth mindset, yeah, and like believing that, and and it and she other she's also shown that it has a kind of gender dimension because often very young kids will get feedback um, that the way that you receive feedback in school or from your parents could be either like, uh, you know, oh, you did such a good job, you're so smart, like that kind of thing. Right. Or uh, the other version would be, you. this is great work, like you you must have worked really hard. Right, exactly. It's intrinsic smart versus extrinsic, like just hard work got you to a good result. Exactly, yeah. And so you can sort of start to believe that either, and I think, the, the theory, I think, this is like several layers removed from, so anyway, we could edit this out of my misrepresenting someone's work, but I think the theory is that girls, because they are sort of like at a different place on the developmental curve very early on, will right. often get feedback to the effect of like you're, like they'll get positive feedback early on and that sometimes boys who are at a different, who develop at a different pace will sort of get feedback that's like, you need to keep, you can do this. Like you might not have gotten it this time, but you're going to get it in the future. And that this can result in kind of like a gender imbalance in the way that people fascinating. I was not expecting such an academically informed answer when I wrote that question. (laughs) (laughs) This is is why I'm glad I'm talking to a PhD student. (laughs) Well, it's like, it's like a scholarship at, you know, probably three levels of remove. So you can take it with a grain of salt, but I, but it is something I think is really interesting. And I've, I've tried, and so more recently I've tried to think about is there, do I, you know, I think I have a sort of pest, I think basically what it boils down to is that if you don't, if you, if you sense that you've in the past been quite stable in terms of your demeanor and your personality and your values and all that, then I think you're less likely to believe that you're capable of radical change and at times when you actually want to, want to change things about your life that can be demoralizing because if you think that if you're like well what are the chances that I actually would be able to like you know if it hasn't happened in the past yeah why would it why would it start happening now so I think this is a this is a question that I so the question was do you believe you'll be a different person in five years (laughs) yeah a very different person a very different person I think if I were answering honestly I would have to say no but that I am sort of also in the process of trying to uh uh, that I'm in the process of trying to think about ways that I might answer that question differently in the future or that I might like to believe I would be very different, but I'm not, or that, but I don't believe that, or I would like to at least believe that I could be a somewhat different person yeah. <laughs> in the future or a quite different person. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you, you're asking uh, what, what my answer is to this, and it's, it's also complicated. The, the short version is kind of like a qualified yes. Like I sort of, 
I do feel like I've changed a lot hmm. since both, both from both high school to college and then college to now in, mm-hmm. in the real world. And uh, I, I do like notice significant changes in my mindset about things and those different jumps. But at the same time, I've, I've done like the whole connecting the dots backward thing sometimes where I'll think about like something I used to do as a kid, some habit I used to have. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's kind of similar to what I do now yeah. it's in a different way. So like, you know, when I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11, I was obsessed with Garfield, like the comic, the, the fat yeah, you know, yeah. orange cat. And I collected all of the, the Jim Davis books with all the Garfield comics. And I'd go around and I was like the maven of Garfield. I would like <laughs> go around like saying like basically like reciting Garfield <laughs> comics to, to people who, who my, my family who graciously put up with me um which was just sort of like in hindsight you know a in hindsight i don't think garfield's funny anymore as (laughs) as an adult and b in spite of that though i kind of still do that to to a large degree with you've heard me like tell you about the room the the wonders of the room or about countless other movies or other pieces of pop culture that's Mm. something where i definitely carry that through and and i i'm sure i haven't really you know thought about it too deeply but i i kind of have this sense that if if i really like had like a magnifying glass on my own history there'd be all sorts of little points Mm. like that like things i did that i still do in some you know mutated way today and so it's sort of like you know um even though i feel like a very different person I, 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 that's kind of I, mm-hmm. I studied history in college and right, I kind right, of always right. feel like there's always like through lines to everything you can yeah. always trace something back to everything yeah or everything back uh, you tra- trace everything back to something <laughs> right right and it <laughs> might not be the through line that you would expect like when you started that story I was thinking you were going to say like you know I used to like Garfield I don't think that I like Garfield I don't like Garfield anymore but I found that that same sense of humor is something I really value, but in a different Not context. Really, but no. in fact, it's, <laughs> in fact, the content isn't what matters at all. It's just the idea of like attaching yourself to these like exactly forms of popular culture or whatever or you know but it's not also my tastes have got undergone a hundred percent change you know mm-hmm. i i remember vividly watching star wars for the first time when i was six and i we were taping this like a week and a half before the new star wars yeah. comes out and i'm just like oh my god it's happening <laughs> you know <laughs> um yes so it's, it's not it's not uh, it's not a t- total change in in the content either but yeah <laughs> i think maybe what this conversation is making me realize is i would like to be more mindful but both, you know, in both directions, basically noticing more when, um, you know, like having like a Garfield moment where I'm like, oh yeah, I do, I have that same relationship with, uh, with, you know, this other cultural object or, but also noticing when things change, you know, when, when, when tastes change or, you know, even very minor things like that just seems like an important part of this, like, you know, that, that sort of like self-discovery and introspection is partly about being able to understand yourself as, a, as, as someone who changes in time, but also yeah. stays the same in time. Both of that's the thing. Things. I couldn't tell you when I stopped reading Garfield. I couldn't tell yeah. you when that stopped. But it clearly has. Yeah. It definitely <laughs> stopped at some point. I moved on to something else. It completely yeah. something else took over at some point. Yeah. You know, and I still have all those old Garfield books in my like, you know, childhood like bookcase at home, but I haven't touched those in, you know, 15, 16 years. So Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Anyway, here comes the next question. What's your ideal road trip, route, and destination? Ooh. Anywhere in the world. Holy moly. That's a <laughs> open-ended question. Um, well, kind of precursor to that question is, have you ever done a road trip before? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you... you, you oh, no. I, yeah, I'm just But it doesn't saying... have to be something you've done. It could be something, an ideal thing that you've yeah. never done. So, okay. so either way you want to go. Okay. 
So actually, I have done very few what I think this person means when they say road trips. I mean, like, I've driven in the car a lot, but usually the point is to get to a place and be in that place. Um, And when I was little, I've always been someone, I've always been prone to car sickness. So Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think for a long time I didn't see... I didn't see any value to road trips. It was just totally unappealing to me. And in fact, um, my brother and my mother did a road trip when I think, I don't even remember when this would have been. Maybe I was in high school and it was, you know, it was a summer when it was totally on the table for me to have gone to. But at this point I was pretty aggressively anti, like, I was like, (laughs) that seems like the worst, like not just like not the, my ideal vacation, but like the worst version of a vacation. They were going to drive across the country and we were going to go. Um, the The plan at the destination was to go on a hiking trip in the Tetons in oh, Wyoming. Wow. And so my 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 dad and I flew out and met them. I think we, we flew to Denver. And so we did sort of the tail end of this. Sure. Um, I think was that, or maybe I'm mixing. Anyways, no, no, no. I think that was. I think that was the time that they that they the abbreviated part of the road trip. Yeah, yeah. So we did this very abbreviated part, and um, I've always felt. And then increasingly, as I've gotten older, it's funny. After saying all these things about how I haven't changed, I feel like all of the questions in a different way are saying that I had <laughs> different words. We have changed, but um, epiphany. Yeah. I uh, I have gotten. I felt more and more wistful about not having done that that road trip. I've heard a lot of great stories about people who've driven across the country. And in a way that's, I mean, in a, it's sort of the least interesting answer, but I think the road trip that I am most keen to do at this moment would just be a cross country road trip. I think I've yeah. gotten in general more interested. In, I mean, this is not to say that I've done a ton of international travel, but I think one thing that I feel like I used to not be interested in at all was U.S. regional travel. And I think hmm. I've gotten much more interested in that. And like, I think the, I think, you know, we're, this is a country you really can only see in a way, like in any kind of comprehensive way by car. And like, there are huge swaths of the U.S. that like, that's the way to get there. And it's the way to, you know, it's the way that you get to these like roadside, um, like, you know, restaurants and, um, so, so that I think, yeah. So I, I've, I've, at the time I was like, totally, it was probably as a very indecisive person. It's funny that I was like, just like so sure that I didn't want to go on this trip with my mom and my brother who had a great time. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've, I've wished that I had gone. And I think that's a trip that I would like to go. As it happens, I'm actually going on a quasi or what I've billed to myself as a road trip this very weekend. <laughs> really? Um, up to north, like to nor- super northern California, so like near up to the Oregon coast, uh, Oregon border, mm-hmm. and that's also this is a trip that has been sort of brewing in my mind for a while. But I'm thinking of it as a kind of like, um, like a warm up for a possible longer trip. But that's a part of California that I haven't. It's hard. I've only been up there one time, and it was where I was again, where I was like really like booking it toward a particular destination. I was going on this hiking trip and I wanted to, we basically drove through the night to get there and I I barely saw it. So I'm going up to Humboldt and, um, and we're going to go to some breweries and, you know, so it's the kind of trip that really is only just like, you can only think of it in the terms of a road trip. Cause if, if I were going, it's just a weekend trip. And if I were going up to Humboldt for any other purpose, like for any other purpose than just like driving around, it wouldn't feel like enough time. Cause I right. think it's, I think it's almost eight hours to get to the sort of like furthest, the, you know, the point that is going to be the furthest from here. And then we're going to spend a night in Mendocino. So yeah, doing kind of a, a loop trip. Um, 
I, I, people do this all the time, and I'm guilty of this too. Is like think of San Francisco as Northern California. Yeah, totally. There's a huge amount of California. Oh my god, up there. it goes up so far. Yeah, <laughs> eight hours, just not even to get to Oregon. Yeah. yeah, and originally I was thinking about this in terms of a trip to Oregon. Like I, w- I wanted to go to Crater Lake, which has a very short season. It turns out, so you can't go really during the fall or winter or spring, just the summer. Yeah. Um, and when when that became when it became clear that wasn't an option i was sort of like well is there any point like would i you know if i can't go to oregon where but yeah no it turns out there's (laughs) there's a lot of stuff (laughs) in between here and crater lake (laughs) yeah just like tons of stuff and um and yeah i think they call it the uh the redwood curtain because so few Mm. people go (laughs) go beyond it it's like the iron curtain of (laughs) i never heard that that's great yeah there (laughs) aren't i think there are a lot of tourists in you know obviously sonoma napa marin and then to, Mendocino is also pretty touristy. And then once you get further north, it's really like you need to make a pretty concerted effort to get up there, which is part of what, you know, that, that is what appeals to me about the road trip is it's like you're going to places that Off the beaten path, are yeah. just harder to get to. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so that's. Huh. So, yeah, so it's, uh, so is it a bit in your thinking, so that's kind of your, your near term plan and then your ideal destination. Do you have a, you said across the country, I don't like, know. do you know where across the country? Oh gosh, I guess I haven't thought about it too carefully other than having a vague sense I'd like to do it at some point. And it seems, I feel like when you move to California, the chances that you're going to do one of these road trips or the, the, you know, uh, the, the times when it would be possibly either convenient or necessary to do them increases a lot. So I just kind of feel like it's going to happen at some point, like before I move away some, someplace. At, at some point like yeah. maybe if I get a job somewhere and then I need to go bring my stuff there like I, right. I sort of imagine it happening in under those circumstances um and you know so at one point I would you know I, I've heard people I've heard about like the northern route and the central route and the southern route and I guess the part I guess I've always wanted to go to the southwest that's another part of the country I haven't yeah. been to so I think the idea of doing a southern arc uh through like New Mexico and Arizona and Texas. And You've been to the Grand Canyon? Haven't been to the Grand Canyon. Class. I mean, it's like, it's it's obviously super touristy, but it is something you have to see to, to really appreciate. That's that's yeah. what I've heard. I would yeah. I would love to go to the Grand Canyon. Um, so, yeah. But what so about, what that... about Utah? You've been to the national parks in Utah. Mm-mm. So that's actually my, my road trip story with with, uh, with my dad when I drove out Because I, rem- I was going to ask, because I remember you, you, dro- you drove across country to get to Stanford, right? That's right, yeah. And crossing over from, I guess... God, this shows how bad I am at U.S. geography. Mm-hmm. It would be Colorado into Utah. Does uh-huh. that sound right? Sure. Yeah. The you, moment yeah. it's it's like you like the tourism board is just like brilliant. The moment you go over the hill and across the state line into Utah is this amazing vista wow. of just these mountains, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And uh, and uh, we over, during the trip we made a point to stop and go to several national parks on the way, mm-hmm. and it's like one of my like favorite. Even though it wasn't a vacation, we were trying to get to, you know, right. to where I was going to be going to grad school. But it was like, um, it, it was like a really, really amazing just experience of just like going to these places and, and just like soaking it in, you know. Which and, uh, which national parks do you remember? Like uh, The ones we went to on that trip were um, Arches, mm. Bryce, and Zion. Yeah. And Arches is, was my favorite. Arches is... Uh, Are all three of them in Utah? Yeah, no. all three in okay, Utah. Yeah. I, I, think, I think Arches is kind of like middle, is like eastern central Utah, and then Bryce and Zion are kind of 
central south mm-hmm. or more more that direction mm-hmm. basically what we were doing is we, we we went to utah we did three days of national parks and then we did one day of las vegas after that we, we, we did national parks and then straight on to vegas awesome yeah <laughs> uh, that, that was our kind of our our, our trade-off like we get, had, our, had our vegetables and we had a dessert after that <laughs> all right here comes the last question what is your favorite thing to do on the weekend the way you started that question, I thought you were going to end it with, what is your favorite color? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe subconsciously. Now that's something that's lasted a lot longer than Garfield, is, is Holy Grail. That, that has sunken deep in, in my, in my uh, pop culture love. Totally. Same for me. I feel like I watched that movie so many times growing up, and it's the it's probably the one, one of the few movies I can quote from by heart. Yeah. Um, so right but i totally was just distracted by what i thought the question was so what is your favorite thing to do on the weekend favorite thing to do on the weekend oh man well i guess i've been trying to get better about respecting the weekend as a weekend because one of the things about grad school is that like in a way it's all a weekend and in a way it's all a work week like it's really hard to and I, I think I had an attitude early on that like it didn't particularly matter because as long as as long as you still had roughly the same balance of leisure and work and pleasure and you know uh, drudgery or whatever <laughs> you want to call it um, that it doesn't sort of matter how it's distributed like the the weekend seems sort of like an arbitrary right. social construct and like maybe there's something better than the weekend like every day having you know really relaxing evenings during the week but I think I've come to realize that particularly in this kind of late phase of a PhD where you're so much in control of your own time and they're really like in a way there are no demands on you, but also a lot of demands on you, (laughs) um, that it is really important to have these kind of structures that, um, that kind of in a way just like notify you that time is passing because I think that's the other thing that can feel like you're just in these kind of like this kind of zone where like you're not progressing exactly and the seasons don't really change out here anyway and um so I've I've come to be a firm believer in like having days of the week be different from each other which isn't something that happens automatically for me you have Um, to make it happen yeah you have to make it happen so you know two things that I've been doing gosh this sounds just so I can't (laughs) I have to I feel compelled to answer this honestly but I also imagining I I'm appreciate also imagining your what I sound, sound like. But <laughs> to be to be perfectly honest, I mean, there's probably a more sort of I like ideal answer I could give to this question, where it would just be like me thinking of the absolute best thing I could sure. do on a weekend. But the things I most look forward to doing on the weekends, as I've currently the, the weekends that I actually have, um, are on Saturday mornings. I go to this yoga class that is run by I think a Stanford grad student. Um, and she's great. Her name's Allison. Um, it's called Yoga for Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, in a way, I think if I were actually a beginner at yoga, I wouldn't enjoy the class. But the theory of the class is that you could come at any level and she'll sort of make, she'll sort of modify what she does so that oh. you can, you know, you can make a particular sequence very, very difficult or you can make it very, very easy depending on where you are or what you're feeling that day. So I appreciate the kind of ethos of the class. I find them quite difficult, um, and it's the first thing I do. It's 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, so I love that it kind of starts. the. It, it sort of memorializes the beginning of the weekend for me. So that is great. And then on Sunday mornings, I go to the farmer's market, mm-hmm. and 
I like to get my new pattern is I like to go, the farmer's market is nine to one. And I like to go, I've discovered that they actually open earlier than nine. Oh. So you can get there at 8.30. Most of the stalls are open. It's usually pretty clear if they're not ready to receive. And are you always like going there to buy stuff? Or are you there more to socialize or? I guess it depends on the, it depends on the weekend. Recently, I've been in the mood to just kind of do my own thing not necessarily to run into there are people i always i mean i often run into you um not as much recently i haven't been to the farmer's market in way too long <laughs> okay and partly i think because of this new eight thirty thing i haven't been running into people yeah. and um i discovered that it's funny like i think i think there's a whole bunch of people of my stanford friends who you know we all like being around each other um and under most conditions, we would be seeking each other out. But there's something about that Sunday morning time that I think people people like to kind of like take it slow and maybe not necessarily to run into other people. But we always do run into each other and then have these like long conversations. So the serendipity maybe overcomes your what would otherwise be inertia about hanging out. Yes, yeah. I think that's true. Um, so so I guess yeah. Recently, I've liked to go to the farmers market mostly not to run into people. And I often, I don't know if this is the best way to experience the farmer's market, but I often like, you know, make a call to my parents while I sort of do a first pass and then I come back in the other direction and I buy some vegetables right. and then I get my coffee from Zombie Runner and then I come <laughs> back. And so those are, yeah, those are two like moments of the weekend that I try to, I try to respect week to week. That's great. Um, and it's also because it's you have a class and you have a weekly farmer's market. So you kind of have little anchor points in a way to kind of keep yourself honest about like, hey, it's Saturday. This is this is a, a me time sort of day. Yeah, totally. I yeah. think that's really important um, for me because I, I also, I think it I kind of, I resist routines in a lot of ways, but I also get really thrown off if I don't have them. And I think <laughs> I, I'm constant, I'm sort of like always trying to think of like, you know, if basically absent those, I would probably be thinking about this question in a deep way every weekend. Like, what's the thing I like to do on the weekend? What should I do? But I, I kind of like that I don't have to think about it and that like that leisure is like the default rather than being something I have to like think really creatively about. Um, so the first rule is there are no rules. The second rule is be up by eight. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's, I guess the... I was recently criticized for interpreting the word favorite to mean that I could name a whole bunch of things that were my favorites, <laughs> plural. So maybe I should just stick to those two answers because I feel like I'm now like, well, what are other things I like to do on the weekends? Like, um, Right, because you, can, you can't technically have more than one favorite. You, you People say like, um, or a lot of people will, will say like, this is like one of the best things to do on the weekend. Technically, yeah. there's only one There's best only thing. one best thing. One of yeah. the better things to do on the weekend if you're being really anal about it. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> yeah, oh, one of the better things. Yeah, and favorite, I feel like with um, partly because there's this like new like online idiom of like favoriting something or yeah. like having, like adding something to Thousands your favorites, favorites like, yeah. which by definition are plural. And it seems to like, yeah, like I think we should have to commit. We should have to say like, <laughs> that is my one favorite thing, or in this case, my two favorite things to do on the weekend. That, that'd be interesting if like, if you, if you made yourself, you could only favorite one thing <laughs> on the internet per day. It's like, that's the thing. Congratulations, yeah. you won. <laughs> that's a totally different standard. Because I just, I mean, I guess the other, the other, the weaker language is the like, and right. people are very promiscuous with their likes. You can like, you, you can like, like everything. everything. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can. <laughs> Every everything your quote unquote friends. I know. <laughs> I like everything my quote unquote friends do. Yeah. Alright, well, Tasha, this was fun. Thanks yeah, for, thanks thanks for, for doing fun. this. Yeah. That's all the random questions we have time for today. Remember to visit randomquestions.xyz to submit your own random questions. Tasha, you should do that. 
Uh, I'm sure I'm sure you have all sorts of questions yeah, now, brewing now. That they you, are. Uh, you can submit there. And uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ. And Tasha, is there anywhere people should try and you want people to look Ooh. you up online? Or you prefer uh, to remain pseudo-anonymous? I'm going to remain pseudo-anonymous just for lack of having a place to point people to. Um, yeah. I'm a silent lurker on Twitter so far. It's a very <laughs> recent development. But uh, maybe eventually I'll have a, what do you call them, a handle? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> In which case, I will update all of you. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Random Quest show music is by Red Eyes and licensed under Creative Commons. For more, visit randomquestions.xyz. Thanks, Tasha, and thanks for listening. <laughs>